Canada curious? This is the Yes We Canada podcast, the progressive's guide to getting the fuck out. This episode, Patriot Palooza, the rebellion that rocked the Capitol. Hey, I'm Matt Zimbel in Montreal. Y'all coming to the insurrection? It's gonna be wild! Today we're talking rebellion, treason, and sedition. Patriot Palooza. America, your national slogan, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Oh man, that's banging. Like everything you do, America, there's a lot of swagger in that there motto. As I've mentioned before, other than the odd truck parking problem in our nation's capital, we don't really do insurrection up here in Canada. Our country was founded by anti-revolutionaries. Loyalists is what you called us dismissively during your revolution back there in the late 1700s, when we fled your colonies and came north to what would eventually become Canada, because we still love the king's ass. Our motto is, peace order, and good government. Nope, not exactly a call to arms. And really, you should note this, peace, order, and good government. It's not great government, just good government. Not terribly aspirational, and not terribly inspirational. My dear exceptionalist friends, I know what you're thinking. Why y'all talking about yourselves so much? When y'all gonna talk about us some more? Guys, I know this is hard to hear, but it's not always about you. And while we're not as insurrectable as you are, we've had our own bloody assaults on our government buildings up here. Not boasting, just saying. And just like the creation of the universe, Canadian terror attacks on our government buildings all started with a big bang. A really big bang. On May 18, 1966, a Toronto security guard by the name of Paul Joseph Chartier entered the third-floor men's room at the House of Commons in Ottawa, lit the fuse of a homemade bomb he had built using ten sticks of dynamite. You see, we're a mining and prospecting people up here, so dynamite's not hard to get in Canada. In fact, most large malls have a Dynamite R Us location. Paul wanted to become what he called the President of Canada. Um, we don't have a president, sir. We have a prime minister. Anywho, President Paul's plan was to leave the washroom and walk his artisanal bomb a few feet into the public gallery of the House of Commons, our version of Congress, and throw the bomb from the third floor gallery onto the House floor, killing as many MPs, that's members of Parliament, as possible. Only one little problem. A scheduling problem. You see, when Paul bought his dynamite, he asked the clerk at Dynamite Arras what the burn rate of the fuse was. The clerk, who had likely just been transferred from Tim Hortons the day before, said, 60 seconds a foot. But in fact, the fuse burn rate was actually 40 seconds a foot. Now, when you're a bomber on a tight schedule, you need to be very, very... You need to be very, very precise. Oh, shit, that hurts. 
Paul Chartier died that day as he left the washroom, and I think the terrorist takeaway here is never trust a clerk. No one else was injured. Thank you for shopping at Dynamite RS, your explosives emporium. Tick, tick, boom. On May 8, 1984, Army Corporal Denis Lorty walked into the National Assembly of the Government of Quebec in Quebec City with two submachine guns, a pistol, and a hunting knife. I missed this shot, but your day will come. Enraged by the language policies of the left-leaning independentist government Parti Québécois, his principal target was Premier René Lévesque and his cabinet. But just like Paul Chartier, he made a big, sloppy mistake. Corporal Denny Lorty has taken over the speaker's chair in Quebec's National Assembly. One camera is rolling and recording what goes on. You should have taken your goddamn time. Lorty thought the National Assembly started sitting at 10 a.m., when in fact that day they didn't sit until 2. So after killing three bureaucrats and injuring 13 on his entrance, Lorty had the empty National Assembly chamber all to himself. He sat on the Speaker of the House's throne. There is remarkable surveillance cam footage you can YouTube of Corporal Lorty, dressed in military fatigues, machine guns on his lap, haphazardly firing rounds into the empty chamber, and shouting semi-coherently in French. Now, I say semi-coherently because I do understand French, particularly the French screamed by a foaming-at-the-mouth madman, thanks to some of the bosses I've had. But Lorty spoke a very particular kind of French that day, because as he sat on the throne, randomly firing his submachine gun, he was clearly in the midst of a psychotic episode. At one point, he opened his mouth and yanked out his denture and threw it on the floor, then celebrated his dental auto-restoration by firing off a few more rounds. Then, something truly remarkable happened. And remember, this is all caught on videotape. The sergeant of arms, René Jalbert, dressed in a raincoat and a suit and tie, walks into the frame, holding his briefcase, casually smoking a cigarette about three feet away from the gunman, who, I will remind you, just killed three people and injured 13, and is currently firing a machine gun erratically into the room and says to him in French, Hey, I used to be in the army too. Oh, yeah? Yes. What do you think of that, that government? I spent 30 years in the army. I'm going to shoot these people, goddammit! Why were they done? Goddamn politicians! One, two, three, four, five, I missed! Now, you need to know the role of the Sergeant of Arms in the National Assembly, it's a ceremonial role. They're not like grizzled drill sergeants. They don't have guns. They dress up in court dress, which was very chic in the 1600s. They wear a sword and they lug around a big-ass mace, which is like a big silver urn on a silver stick. You know, a mace-like thing. But let me tell you, you have never seen footage of a more courageous man than Sergeant of Arms René Jalbert. Spoiler alert. The Sergeant of Arms convinces the gunman to come to his office where they talk for four hours until the gunman refuses to surrender to civilian police but agrees to surrender to military police. For murdering three and injuring 13, Lorty gets a life sentence. After serving 10 years, he makes parole and now works as a clerk in a variety store. Sergeant of Arms Jalbert wins the Medal of Valor and a bunch of other richly deserved ceremonial hardware. Quebecers have an expression. Actually, it's just a word, 
a word of empathy. When things are tough, they tenderly say, Courage. It means, be strong. Everything will work out. Well, there may never be a more powerful example of French-Canadian courage than Sergeant of Arms René Jalbert's de-escalation of a horrific tragedy on the morning of May 8, 1984. Nope, not done yet. Got more tales of domestic homegrown terror. On April 7, 1989, a Montrealer of Lebanese descent, Charles Jacob, boards a Greyhound bus in Montreal bound for New York. Fifteen minutes after departure, he puts a semi-automatic pistol to the head of bus driver Roger Bednarchuk and tells him to drive to Ottawa. Jacob shows the driver a detonator and claims that he has a bomb. There are nine passengers on board. At the first toll booth, Jacob releases one passenger who turns out to have been a cop. He, of course, calls the cops, which I think we can all agree is the right thing to do when all your hostage buddies drive away, leaving you at a toll booth without your luggage. 911, what is your emergency? Um, yes, hello. Uh, I'd like to report that my luggage has been stolen. Oh, yeah, and, um, and one more thing. Well, the Surete de Quebec, that's our version of state troopers, promptly starts to pursue the bus, but somehow loses it. Thinking the bus is en route to New York, they notify the New York State Troopers, but forget to notify their neighboring police force, the Ontario Provincial Police, or the Federal Police, Dudley Do-Right, also known as the RCMP. So where does the bus with eight hostages, a driver, a pistol, and a bomb in its belly end up 90 minutes later? Parked smack dab in front of the House of Commons on Parliament Hill, home of the Canadian federal government in downtown Ottawa. Terrorism to go, and we deliver. You see, hijacker Charles Jacob was very unhappy about the civil war in Lebanon. But after an eight-hour standoff, which included shooting at but missing a few American tourists, and hey, I'm sorry about that. God knows you people are not used to shots fired. Everyone was safely released. There was no bomb, and Chuck went to prison for six years, and now he's out and runs a jewelry store in Montreal. Which is how you want your hostage takings to go, right? Greyhound, a compassionate employer if there ever was one, gave the driver a week off, and then told him to get back to work. The driver tried, but after having a gun to his head for eight hours, he was in no state to drive. His nerves were shot. He was suffering from PTSD. So what did HR at Greyhound do? Well, they did what any good corporate citizen would do. They splurged on one session of mental health counseling for their valued employee who had served them well for almost three decades and heroically saved nine of their passengers. According to Mr. Bednarchuk, the therapist told him that there would be nothing better for his recovery than to just get right back in the saddle and start driving that bus again whereupon the driver told the therapist that there is a subtle difference between falling off a bike and having a 45 caliber pistol shoved in your face for eight hours on a bus that was supposedly booby-trapped with bombs. The government of Canada awarded Bednar Chuck the Medal of Valor. And what does Greyhound do with their newly decorated hero driver? Well, they do what any stand-up corporate citizen would do. They fire him. And I mean, come on. He only saved nine lives and 
Been with the company for 29 years. Greyhound, safety third. And finally, in the fourth act of our Tales of Terrorism, we take you to downtown Ottawa on a beautiful fall day in 2014 for a truly tragic story. 24-year-old reservist Corporal Nathan Cirillo was guarding the tomb of the unknown soldier at the National War Memorial with two other sentries from the ceremonial guard. As is tradition, their rifles were ceremonial and not loaded. Michael Zahath Bibot, a Canadian born in Quebec City of Libyan and Quebecois descent, who was living in an Ottawa homeless shelter, arrives at the memorial at 10 a.m. by car and shoots Cirillo fatally three times in the back. Now we're going to pause here for a little sidebar for all of our NRA listeners and pro-gun lobbyists. Much to the dismay of our conservative party up here in Canada, Canada's gun laws are much stricter than yours in the States. In Canada, you need a license to buy a gun. And to get a license, you need to take a firearm safety course. You have to have a license to buy ammo. And check this out, patriots. Even if you buy a gun in a private sale, it must go through a licensed dealer. Many guns that you can buy in the States without a background check are in fact prohibited up here, like your beloved AR-15, or as y'all call it, America's Rifle. And yet, Michael Zahaf Bibot, who had a police record and a history with mental illness, still managed to get a gun. And you could rightfully use that as an argument against gun control. See, y'all got laws. It don't work worse. Shit, guns don't kill people. People kill people. My Second Amendment rights are so important to me. But before you jaw-jaw on about your Second Amendment rights, listen to this story and try to get in touch with your inner human. Ottawa lawyer Barbara Winters was walking to work on that beautiful October day when she heard shots ring out at the war memorial. Bravely, she ran towards the fire. As Corporal Cirillo lay dying on the granite steps of the cenotaph, she held his hand and spoke to him. What did you say to him? I told him he was, um, I told him he was loved and that he was a brave man and that he was a good man. And I said, just think of what you were doing when this happened. Just think you were standing at the cenotaph. You were honoring others. Just think of how proud that will make your family. So maybe getting guns should be made harder, not easier, eh? But I guess if Sandy Hook didn't move the needle on your distaste for background checks, I'm pretty sure this story won't either. The gunman, Michael Zahaf Bibot, then drives away from the cenotaph in an unlicensed car he bought the day before. He parks near Parliament Hill, hijacks a government minister's car, and drives directly up to the House of Commons, our Capitol building. He forces his way in, shooting a security guard in the foot. Guards tackle him, but he prevails and walks right past the room where the government caucus, with the Prime Minister and the entire cabinet, is meeting. He fires a shot directly into the room where the opposition party is meeting and misses everyone. Eventually, a firefight breaks out and the attacker is shot and dies of his injuries on the scene. The gunman was a lone wolf, a drug addict, and a petty criminal. He was known to police but was not on the government's terror watch list. According to videos he recorded prior to the attack, his motive was to avenge Canada's policies in the Middle East but he was not associated with any terrorist cell and was just mentally unstable. Investigators believe he was seeking what's called in the business 
as suicide by cop. This is a story of tragic proportions. The murder in cold blood of a young innocent man who was at his job honoring Canadians' fallen veterans. A gut-wrenching story of a 24-year-old man who will never go home again to his wife and five-year-old son. It's also a story about mental illness and how maybe we don't do enough to help people that are suffering. And here's where this tragic story takes a very surreal turn into a bizarre public relations tale. The generally known narrative of the shooting of the gunman Zihaf Bibo is that he was shot 31 times and killed by the parliamentary sergeant of arms, Kevin Vickers, an ex-RCMP officer who had a 9mm handgun in a lockup in his office. That is only partially true. Vickers did shoot the gunman, but it wasn't his shot that stopped him. The gunman was actually killed by the sharpshooting of an RCMP explosive specialist by the name of Curtis Barrett, who fired the fatal shot. Barrett debriefed, and it was acknowledged that his bravery had stopped the shooter. And yet, we in the public had never heard the name Curtis Barrett, because as Barrett's supervisor at the RCMP told him at the time, and I quote, Sorry, dude, Sergeant of Arms Kevin Vickers' train has left the station, end quote. In other words, don't let the truth get in the way of a great parliamentary takedown. Vickers was hailed as a hero, given a prestigious posting as the ambassador to Ireland, and more importantly to a Canadian, he was given free hockey tickets. Barrett, on the other hand, became known by his co-workers as the loneliest hero and suffered from PTSD. When he sought treatment, the RCMP told him, hmm, there doesn't seem to be a record of you engaging your weapon in a shooting in Parliament Hill. It took them two years to acknowledge Barrett's role. Because, you know, Dudley Do-Right always gets their man. And eventually, the Governor-General honored Barrett with a star of courage. Which just goes to show you that, in the fine tradition of the clothes make the man, those who wear traditional court dress and carry a sword, as the Sergeant of Arms does, get killer attention. So as you can see, we attack our government institutions just like you. You might even say we have as much insurrection as you do, on a per capita basis, of course. I guess the difference is that we have lone wolf sickos, whereas you, you have sickos by the herd. Watch your build, Festus. A gallows. For what? Gonna hang the vice president. Son bitch. On the next episode of Yes We Canada, arts and crafts, patriot style, as we go deep into the Capitol on January 6, 2021, and bring you the best in legitimate political discourse, American style. <laughs>